There's nothing like a little talk with Jesus. You can have a little talk with anyone or anything, and your heart might feel unburdened for a moment, but that burden will return. Why? Because everything else is created. Now, we don't like to think of it in these terms, and I know that we are created in the image of God, unique from everything else. But the fact of the matter is, is this wood in this pulpit is created. That a bird is created. A dog is created. Everything is created. Yet there is one who created it all. You see, we can have a little talk with Muhammad, and it ain't going to make no, never mind, because he's dead and in a grave. We can have a little talk with Mother Earth. That's a thing nowadays. It ain't going to make any difference. We can have a little talk with some wooden idol at a restaurant. It's got a big belly stuck out, Buddha. Let me just be plain. We can have a little talk with him, and it ain't, it ain't going to help nothing. Some of y'all may think this to be silly, but I know it to be true. Sometimes you can talk to your dog, and you'll feel better. Look, I'm telling you, dogs become like family. You'll have a little talk with your dog, and you'll feel a little bit better for a little while. You might call your mommy and your daddy, or your son or your daughter, or your spouse, and you can have a little talk with them and clear the air. Or just get some encouragement. And it helps for a little bit. But it don't make everything right. But if you just have a little talk with Jesus. Because he created mommy and daddy. You can think you created your children. But you didn't. They were known before they were ever formed in your, in your womb. God created them. God created you. God created that dog. He created the wood for the Buddha statue. He created Muhammad. Even though Muhammad decided not to follow him. He created it all. So you can talk to all of those and feel better for a minute. But if you talk to Jesus, everything can be made right. Just a little talk. And actually, that's kind of the whole point of this morning. Still keeping in the Pentecostal winds because everything that I've done for the past few weeks and will be for about the next month or two centers around something, uh, some text or some scripture concerning the Holy Spirit. This morning is no different, but the title for this morning is You Must Be Born Again, Out of Darkness Into Light. You must be born again. There's no option, no other way. John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, as you find that, if you would, please stand. And I didn't give it to them this morning, so I don't know if they can get it on the screen or not. They may or may not be able to. But you can turn in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And, and actually, I, I, I may read an additional verse too. I'm going to go back and read verse 3 and then drop down and read 5 and 6. Starting at verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now you drop down to verse 5 and it says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your promise, for your word. God, for the presence of your Holy Ghost with us. Lord, I pray simply today, Lord, that I could just preach your word, nothing more, nothing less. God, that your anointing would be in this place, and that what we do would glorify and honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'm going to go through a little bit of the story of Nicodemus. If you want to follow along, I'm going to flip over to 7 at one point, and then also over to 19, because we like to think of Nicodemus just as this person that we see in the third chapter of John. We like to think of him just as the Pharisee that come to Jesus under the cover of darkness, that Jesus looked at him and said, you must be born again. But the fact of the matter is, is there is much more to the story of Nicodemus if we will just read through the gospel. And I think it's really a story that a lot of us could probably relate to, but I do want to start at the very beginning. You see, if you read in, in John chapter 3, you'll understand that Nicodemus is a man that would appear to be of some level of importance. He is a well-respected man, and he is a, a well-liked man, it would seem. He is a, a ruler of the Jews. He was not just a Pharisee, but he was also a ruler of the Jews. But he had already heard some things going on outside of his little circle of friends and his circle of influence. You see, he goes to Jesus and he tells him that no man can do these things that you are doing except by the power of God. Now, all we've read about in John so far is that Jesus had turned water into wine. That's what we read about in John chapter 2. We see that he cleansed the temple, and it says that he did miracles, but we really don't understand what miracles. Nicodemus had an, a front row view of everything that went on, and he knew that there was something more than what he had been living. He was living a high station in life, but he still knew that there was more that he needed to be able to step into. Now, immediately, we can understand that our station in life doesn't matter. Here is Nicodemus, a high and mighty ruler of his people that had been trained as a Pharisee. He was educated, and there was still something more that he needed. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is no respecter of persons? He doesn't care if you're in that high station in life or you're in a low place in life. He really doesn't care whether you're male or female, what your ethnicity is, what your background is. He doesn't care where you was born, how you was born. There is nothing else that matters to Jesus Christ other than you must be born again. Nicodemus is a good picture of this because even though he had that good pedigree behind him, even though he had lived out his days trying to fulfill the work of the temple, 
people, even though he had done what by all accounts would be the work of a good man. We've got all kinds of people in this world that we can look at and we can say they're a good man. They'll help out their neighbor. They're good to their wife. They're good to their kids. You see, even in that, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Here is Nicodemus, and he was a good man. He took care of his responsibilities. He lived life the best way he knew how. And still, Jesus Christ looked at him when he come to him under the cover of darkness, and he said, you're not going to enter in into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. So your goodness really doesn't matter. But now I will tell you, and I've got a few things to go through before I go back to Nicodemus, that just because someone wants you to go get saved, because someone knows you need to go get saved, doesn't mean a hill of beans. You're here because you know you need something. Whether saved or sinner, you're in this church house because you know that this is where you can encounter Jesus Christ. So just knowing it doesn't matter. Even the demons believe. Even the demons know. They fear and tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. Just knowing will do you no good. Just being a good person will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Coming to the altar for your spouse or your mommy or your daddy will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Walking into the church building will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. How do I know? Because Jesus said so. He said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit. Now I'm going to take just a minute on that water business. There's a lot of different ways people look at it and try to interpret it. They try to say that you have to be born of a woman and also born of the Spirit. To me, logically, that doesn't make sense. We know that we've got to be born of a woman. There's no other way to be born. The news can tell you whatever they want. They can call a cow a dog, and it's still a cow. It doesn't matter. They can call a man a woman, but it's still a man. It doesn't really matter. There's only one way to be born, and that is of a woman. So it doesn't make any sense for Jesus to say you have to be born of a woman and of the Spirit. Now, there's some that will try to tie it in with water baptism. But that also, to me, makes no good logical sense. You can read through the book of John and everywhere that it highlights the importance of the Spirit. You go over to chapter 14 and then also in chapter 16 where we have that blessed promise that Jesus looked at his followers and he said, I've got to go away. I've got some work to do on the cross so that my blood can be shed and you can be reconciled to the Father. I've got some beatings to take so that by my stripes you can be healed. But it's expedient that I go away. That way I can send to you another comforter who will guide you into all truth. That will call all things to remembrance what I have taught you. But nowhere in those places where he talks about the importance of the Holy Ghost guiding you into truth does he mention water baptism. You can look through John, you can look through Paul's writings, you can look throughout and nowhere is it really tied together. Ancient literature doesn't tie it with being birthed of a woman. The only thing that really makes sense in the way that it's grammatically tied together is much like when uh, John the Baptist said, there's one coming greater than I that will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and 
with fire. Well, can I tell you that that is one and the same. It's not two separate baptisms that we receive with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is one. You are baptized with the fire of the Holy Ghost. There is only one way that you can be saved, which is under the cleansing flow, which is like water of the Holy Ghost. You can come up here and clean yourself up, but if you don't get saved because the Spirit has called you, then you are not saved. If you don't come up here and kneel down before the foot of the cross and let the cleansing work of the Spirit run through your heart and you repent and you walk out different. That is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that if you want to enter in into the kingdom of God, you've got to work. You've got to come under the work of the Holy Ghost and you've got to let Him flow through you. You've got to let Him flow over you. You've got to let the Holy Ghost cleanse you. It's a cleansing flow of the Spirit that is necessary for your regeneration in Jesus Christ to become a new creature in Christ. You cannot become one without the flow of the Holy Ghost. It ain't popular, but it's true. And we know that to be true because as I told you, Jesus said so even in John 14, 15, 16. You can read through those. But in particular, 15, 26, he said, When the Comforter has come, I will send unto you from the Father even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, I know your grandma and your grandpa and mommy and daddy and other people have told you about Jesus Christ, but it's the Spirit that is pulling at your heart that is testifying of Jesus Christ to you. That's why you're in this church. We know that Paul said, Wherefore I give to you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and, 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 no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You see, it's not someone that brought you into this place. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that is telling you, you need to submit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit telling you, you need to come under the flow of what I've got for you to regenerate you and cleanse you and change your heart. Back in Ezekiel, even in the Old Testament, God spoke and said, I will take out their heart of stone and I will put into them a heart of flesh. Why? Because when you come under the flow of the Holy Ghost, then He can guide you into what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Me and Brother Stanley and a few others were talking this morning. It's not a list of don'ts. You can follow a list of don'ts all day long. You can follow the Ten Commandments, all of the don'ts. You cannot worship other gods. You cannot kill anybody. You cannot cheat on your wife or your husband. You can follow all the knots, but if you don't follow the do's, it's not going to do you any good at all. You have to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You have to treat your neighbor and love your neighbor as yourself and as you love the Lord. You have to follow the do's way before you ever follow the don'ts. That goes back to what I said. You see, a good man will follow all the don'ts. A good man won't cheat on his spouse. A good man won't kill someone. A good man won't rob and steal. A good man will do the right thing all the time. But just because he's good and because he follows the don'ts has no indication of whether he's going to heaven or not. He has to follow the do's to get into heaven. 
heaven. Does he love God? I don't know, but you can see the fruit in their life if they will come under the prompting of the Holy Ghost and regenerate and start proclaiming Jesus Christ. Then I can say, yeah, I have a pretty good idea that they love the Lord. And when they love the Lord, then they can really love their neighbor. Then they can really love their spouse. But it's then that they can also enter in into the kingdom of God. Now, it wasn't just in the Gospel of John that John also recorded that you have to be born of the Spirit. In 1 John 4 and 2, he said, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, that it makes you confess that Jesus is come in the flesh. But probably one of my favorites that show that it's the Holy Ghost that leads you into this truth. And it's recorded in a couple of the different Gospels. I happened to pick Matthew to stick in here. It said when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus is looking at Peter and Paul and Matthew and all the disciples the apostles, and he's saying, who, who do people say that I am? What are, what are people saying about me? What, what's the talk on the street? So some saying you're John the Baptist. Some saying you're Elias. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. They thought he was someone that was come back from the dead. But here's the important part to that passage. He looked at him and said, who do you say I am? All right, I can, I can go out there and I can ask the world what they think about Jesus, and it's inconsequential. But you're here this morning in Mill Creek Church of God. You're here under my voice. I've got a very direct question for everyone in here. Because I look around and everyone in here is old enough to understand and know. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? I can't help what they say, but I can tell you the truth in this church house. Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon Peter spoke up. Oh, loudmouth Peter. Temperamental Peter. That's what he was. He answered and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the son of the living God. You're not son of someone that's dead and laying in a grave, but you have a birth that has come since before the world ever began. You are someone special. You are something different. You're the only one that has ever come from God. You're the only one that has ever come down from heaven as a way to make reconciliation between me and the Father. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Your confession of Jesus Christ doesn't hinge on what the world says. It hinges on what the Holy Ghost is speaking to your heart right now. It hinges on the fact of whether you can stand up and proclaim that God, I know that you sent your only begotten Son. I know that He went to a cross. I know that by His stripes I am healed. But furthermore, I know that I believe in my heart and I am confessing with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. How 
do I know he's Lord? Because yes, he went to a grave, but three days later, he come up out of it. After that, he appeared to the disciples and 500 more at one time. How do I know? Because some 40 days after that, they were standing and they were looking up as Jesus ascended into heaven. And there was an angel that stood by and said, this same Jesus that you see ascending up, he's going to come again in like manner. Friend, let me tell you this morning, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming to call his church home. And if you do not believe, if you do not follow Jesus Christ, in other words, if you are not born of the Spirit and of water, you are not going to go into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Nicodemus was told. You must be born again. In other words, you must be regenerated under the flow of the Holy Ghost. This morning I'm telling you the same thing because what Jesus said 2,000 years ago still stands true this morning. Today, on March 27th at 11.50 a.m., you still must be born again. But there was a shift with Nicodemus. You see, Jesus talked to him. He told him what had to happen. Now, I know from reading the Gospel of John that something started clicking in the brain of Nicodemus. How do I know? Because if you flip over to chapter 7, Jesus is in the temple. They are there at a festival. He is Debating would probably be a good word to use with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other Jews. Ultimately, he tells them that I am the light of the world, standing in the shadow of the big candelabra that they would have had in the courtyard of the temple. Some say it was about 50 feet tall and they would have seen it all over Jerusalem. He's standing against the light that all of Jerusalem can see and telling them, I am the light of the world. I'm not just the light of Jerusalem, but I am the light of the world. Then he goes on to tell them that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they run him out of the temple and he goes out and he finds a blind man in John chapter 9. And he again looks at this blind man and he says, I am the light. And when the blind man accepts, the blind man can see. But tucked into this whole story through chapter 7, chapter 8, even going into chapter 9, is this little verse. It says, Nicodemus saith unto them. See, they're wanting to plot against Jesus. And this Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night. You see, John wrote it in there, so there's no confusion that this is a different Nicodemus. This is the same one that under the cover of night snuck in to the church house because he was afraid of what his friends might say. He was afraid of what his religious community might say. He was afraid of what society would do to him, so he decided he needed to sneak in under the cover of night. And Jesus said, you can't live in darkness, you must be born again. So Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth. This same Nicodemus that was part of the Pharisees and the Jews that so adamantly was opposed to Jesus heard the words that he must be born again. He had to be born of water and of the Spirit or he couldn't enter the kingdom of God. Decided that he might want the kingdom of God more than he wants the things of this earth. 
Because when his things of this earth started pushing back against Jesus, he stepped back and he said, hold on, wait a minute, I've got to figure this out. Now, I believe we do the same thing a lot of times. We're so entrenched in the things of this world and in our activities and in our circle of friends that we don't know what we want more until we're really confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to understand that there is no way that you can hold the things of this world in balance with the things of heaven, that you have to give one up for the other. In other words, you have to give up the things of this world to grab the things of heaven and when you let go of everything in this world to grab a hold of heaven firmly with both hands that you're not going to suffer lack because God's not going to see his seed begging bread you're not going to have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because the one that can stop time the one that can do anything he wants to do the one that created the sun and the moon and the stars to keep time and to keep the calendar is the very one that you'll be serving you won't have to worry about it but there comes a point when you have to make a decision of whether you want to hold on to the world or whether you want to hold on to Jesus and Nicodemus reached a point where he just stepped back and he said I got to figure this thing out I believe there's people in here this morning that have done that same thing you might even be at that point where you know who Jesus is but you have not submitted you're at that point where Nicodemus was at that you've already been told that you have to be born again and now things are going on and you don't know what to do so you step back and you said, I got to figure it out. There's a shift. You start questioning what's really right and what you really need to do. To me, it's real simple. You need to do exactly what Nicodemus done. Exactly what he done. Because you see, that's still not the end of the story for Nicodemus. How do I know? There's another place in John that starts like this. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. No confusion. Not a different Nicodemus. This is the same one that tiptoed in and snuck in so no one knew. But you know where else it says this? In John 19. You know what he was doing? He was coming out of the darkness and into the light. He was no longer sneaking around worrying about what someone might say, worrying whether he would fail or make it. He wasn't worried about anything else at this point other than doing the right thing and following Jesus Christ. Jesus had went to the cross for Nicodemus. He went specifically for Nicodemus. He went specifically for you too. You see, in John 19, 39, it says, There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Jesus went to the cross for Nicodemus. Even while Nicodemus could not figure out whether to walk in the darkness or the light, Even when he was still waffling, even when he still didn't know exactly what he needed to do, Jesus went to the cross for him. Before you was ever formed in your mother's womb, Jesus Christ went and hung on a cross for you. 
Before you ever took your first sip of anything ungodly, He hung on a cross for you. Before you ever took the first pill you shouldn't have took, He hung on a cross for you. Before you ever committed your first act of adultery, He hung on a cross for you. Before you ever said your first foul word and cursed someone, He hung on a cross for you. Before you give, get, lived a good life, but yet refused to submit your life to Christ, He hung on a cross for you. When Nicodemus was part of the culture that wanted rid of Jesus, was plotting against Him, and was the very ones that hung Him, Jesus hung on a cross for him. And Nicodemus realized that, and he decided he could no longer go under the cover of darkness to try to figure out that he had to come out of the light, and he had to get before the feet of Jesus Christ. He did what Peter said. We often just read, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's 1 Peter 2, 9. We love that first part that we're a royal priesthood. We're chosen people, but we can't stop there. We are those things that we should show forth the praises of Him, Jesus, who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, there's so many of us that have a testimony that we tiptoed into church because we didn't want our friends to know. We would tell our friends we were going out with someone, we had another obligation, and we would sneak off to church because there was just something in us that told us, I need to go there tonight. Someone would ask us at work on Monday, what did you do this weekend? I just watched some ball games. No, and good and well, you went to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. But you ain't going to say it. Yeah, I just watched some ball games. Went fishing, worked on the car, cleaned the house, whatever. You can't say yet. And there comes a point where you might have went to work. And what did you do this weekend? Oh, you know, the spouse wanted me to go to church, so I went and suffered through it. You'll admit that you went, but you're starting to have a little shift. I can tell you this morning, it's time to do what Nicodemus done. Nicodemus come under the cover of night. Then Nicodemus kind of hedged a little bit on all that he was saying on all fronts. He got to a point where he just didn't know. But ultimately there come the day when he went to the feet of Jesus. He wanted to grab a hold of the one that died for him. He wanted to come out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to read that passage out of Matthew 16 again. Because... Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. I'll get it right here in a minute. But can I tell you, he's also here. He's here also. He wasn't just in Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. He wasn't just somewhere else. But he's asking you today, not who do those out there say that I am, because those out there, you know what they'll tell him? Oh, some say he's a good prophet. 
Some say he was a good man. Some will say that he's a made-up fictional character in a storybook, a fairy tale that is just good for philosophy and how to pass along life stories. That it's not real. It's like a fable. Some will say he's someone that's come back from the dead. Some out there will know exactly who he is but refuse to submit to him. So I don't have to ask you what they think about Jesus. I'm not asking you who do they say because I don't care what they think right now. They're not in here yet. But I'm asking you point blank this morning. Because Jesus ultimately turned and he looked at those that was in his presence and he said, but whom say ye that I am? I'm asking you this morning, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? You're here because the Holy Ghost has been working on you. You are here because the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need to give your heart to God. You need to submit your life to Christ. You need to get under the flow of the blood and let it wash away your sins. You need to get under the water and the Spirit to let it regenerate you, to cleanse out your heart, to take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. You need ultimately to be not just like Nicodemus, but also like Simon Peter. You need to come forth and say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This morning, I've got a simple question for you. Will you come out of the darkness and into the light? Will you? I'm not going to shame you into it. I'm not going to beg you to do it. If the Word of God can't convict you, there's nothing I can do. Will you give your life to Jesus Christ? It's really a simple thing to do. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic thing that, phrase or thing that we can do. It's simply a matter of doing what Paul said. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and the same shall be saved. But I believe you need to come, not just hide, not stay in the dark. You need to come into the light. You need to walk out into what God has for you. So first and foremost, if you're not saved, will you give your life to Christ? Will you? Will you? There's nothing better you can do and there's nothing else you can do to secure your eternity. Nothing. There's no other way unto the Father but through and by Jesus Christ. That's it. It doesn't matter if you're good or a murderer. If you don't have the blood of Jesus, you're not getting into heaven. So the altars are open if you need to come and submit your life to Christ. And I'm pretty sure we've still got water in the baptistry. I can baptize you today too. I'll jump right in. But I would also ask anybody that just needs kind of that. You feel like there's something there. You just need God to touch. You need God to kind of stir you up a little bit again. 
You know, if you will come and you will get under that flow of the Holy Ghost, if you will come to the altars and let the water and the Spirit regenerate you, He will give you what you need. He will pull you right on along into what He has for you. So I would encourage you, one, this morning, just to come. Let God regenerate you. You know, you can be absolutely on fire for God, but a fire needs stoked every once in a while. Yesterday, your flames was here. Today, they're here. It's still hot and you're still wound up. But you can get back up to here. You can let God regenerate you again. The altars are open this morning. I would encourage you to come for regeneration. But if you're not saved, please, please come and let Christ be Lord of your life.